Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. The podcast that can help educators from around the world navigate not only the present, but also the future. Through discussions of instruction, ed tech, policy, and school leadership, we're here to connect with you and educators from around the world to help them amplify student learning for the betterment of our students and their future. All righty. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. I'm Dr. Matt Rhodes, your host of the podcast. I'm really excited for episode 42 to be talking to Laura Boyd, who is a Spanish teacher from Tennessee who has done some amazing things in her classrooms related to engaging your students as well as providing choice in her learning while she is teaching them Spanish. And as someone that is working with teachers that teach in um, English and in Spanish, I would just wanted to have her on the show because she has so many different strategies and she's doing so many great things from what she's sharing and um, what she posts on uh, social media, as well as her periodicals through um, Edutopia, as well as some other blogs. And it's been uh, fantastic following her over the last number of years. So thanks, Laura, for joining us. Hi, I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. So let's jump into it and talk a little bit about yourself. And then we're going to jump into uh, the nuts and bolts of the questions for this evening. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what's your background in education and how did you get to where you are now? Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. My name is Laura and I currently am a middle school Spanish teacher. I instruct children from fifth through eighth grades. I obtained my undergraduate degree from Marshall University and then continued on to get my graduate degree from the University of Tennessee. And then I completed two years with Teach for America in Memphis. And then I transitioned out of Memphis to my current placement school, which is in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, How I got so interested in social media really was a lot of the lockdown and being a hybrid teacher and then virtual teacher and having to do both. I just... Um, that was really important to share stuff and learn from other passionate educators. And this is how we connected. So I'm excited for this dialogue and to be able to help others and um, make your classrooms more engaging and data-driven for all students. No, definitely. And it's, it's kind of funny. We've been uh, following each other and participating in a lot of different things over uh, Twitter and, um, you know, connecting with our professional learning networks and, and sharing a lot of resources back and forth. So it's obviously really fun to be uh, chatting with you and, and learning from you. So um, let's jump into it. So we're talking about engagement in, in, in choice. And to me, that really involves a lot about like classroom routine. So if you could tell us, give us a little bit of insight about you know, how are you creating and implementing those digital classroom routines and, you know, synthesizing them with the in-classroom routines? Yeah, so I really first think it's important to have a big goal and to do backwards planning. So when I think about my students, I think of where I want them to be and then I've got to work backwards. What are we doing on the daily level that they will be able to obtain their goal? Um, With the digital classroom routine, I definitely had to airtight my lesson pacing and structure. So what that looks like is every single activity, whether it's whole group, 
peer-to-peer -peer collaboration or independent practice, they have a timer, which I embed on YouTube, um, sorry, onto Google Slides. And then even when they're taking a test or if they were in the Zoom breakout room, we always have a classroom timer. That really, one, instills urgency with the student, and two, it keeps me as the educator on pace, like, oh, we have five more minutes, can't keep talking, we gotta, like, keep going. And so when I can think in my head, like, how I'm going to execute the lesson, whether they're in person or they were hybrid or whatever was going on, like, the timer has really solidified me um, just to, like, keep it moving, keep it engaged. And then, of course, as many tech tools as possible, that's really important to me. I like student voice and choice. So what works for one student might not work for someone else. And um, even when you're integrating, like, a very engaging tool, um, you can't be doing that for seven hours a day with a middle school student. I know that. Um, I don't want to do that either. So I felt like different tools might be engaging for one student, but then another one might resonate for whatever reason. So I think just giving them choice and voice um, is important. There are some tools that I feel very passionate about, but I do realize um, it's about them and allowing them to engage in as many different learning opportunities through the ed tech tools. And before you really jump into really using the tool, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how do you usually introduce students with that tool and what are usually your procedures, um, you know, building them up so they have that ability once they're given that choice to use the tool? Yeah, so really big on structure and routine. So from primarily the first two weeks, we we're working a ton on like bookmarking tabs and we use Clever single sign-on. So they practice a ton and I have to also exhibit a lot of patience on my part. Um, like we're joined PD so they know like this is the icon for Pear Deck or like Kahoot.it. So I teach them how to log on. So then when we are integrating this, maybe by week two or three at school, they're just typing in the code. We're not wasting time like quizzes.com, quizlet.live. So I really think it's important um, if you have all of the tech tools you want to integrate um, to either bookmark them on your tabs, use them uh, or hyperlink on Google Classroom. Um, you don't want to lose all that um, learning time, in my opinion, for kids to be typing in. You just want them to hyperlink or um, I know a lot of teachers use all different platforms, so whatever works. But for me, it was just bookmarking the tabs. They create a folder just for Spanish. So I'm very impressed with a lot of the kids. They just like go up and down on that folder and it's just seamless. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And it looks like you put in a lot of leg room. And I always tell teachers, you know, if you put in that leg room work at the beginning of the course or beginning of the school year, like that two to three to four weeks, that's really going to go such a long ways. And it's just going to be automatic at that point. You're going to have to review over the course of the year if you may introduce something new or just going back and providing feedback. But that initial three weeks, four weeks is so critical. And if you do that, that's, it, it's like, it's going to do a lot of dividends in the future. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you talked about how you front loading, of you know, learning the tool and integrating it into your instruction. So what in regard to choice boards, I think if you're providing a lot of opportunities for students with choice and voice, you know, there's a lot of different learning pathways. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, with the choice boards used in class, how do you ensure your students are successful in, in completing that trajectory of, you know, tasks leading up to them having an opportunity to maybe create something? Yeah, so first I use Slidesmania template. 
and I call it get your ticket. And so <laughs> it's a QR code. So the students can scan with their Chromebook. Um, I also put the little image on Google Classroom as well. And then there's a little bitmoji of me. And then I have all little, it's her Paula's um, template, but it's a bunch of little tickets. They're different color coded. And we've done this two ways. The first way when I started piloting and integrating, I tend to learn a couple of things that worked for me and what didn't. So I said um, they all had to do at least the flip grid, which was the exit ticket on the reflection. I did give some autonomy because that's what I said I wanted them to do. So they were able to either complete a Kahoot at their own pace, which is awesome. They could do a Quizlet Live, um, which was more like a little teamwork. So that was with some of the peers. Um, they did a word art. They could do that by themselves. Of course, the Flipgrid could be by themselves. Um, the quizzes that could also be by themselves. So I also allowed them to walk around the room and choose where they wanted to sit. So I had to give a lot of that control up. But if it wanted to be student-centered, I know that um, the timer had to be running the whole time. So it was 20 minutes. Um, so that was on that big Promethean board. And then I said, you have to complete at least three tasks one being the Flipgrid. So I felt like that gave them um, something to strive for. And then I'm also checking balance. So afterwards I would see like the data importing through Kahoot or Quizzies. I had a couple um, really fast kids that said, could I do more? And I was like, absolutely. Um, so I was glad I had extra activities, but I think it's important to give them a goal. Um, while I wanted them to complete all six activities, I've also got to be really of my middle school kids and like what is really possible in 20 minutes um, to get really I think like authentic creative work and like for them to do well I think three worked for me personally um, and six is awesome it's you know your kids and your content of course but I think three to choose from and all different kids had different pathways some kids talk to kids the whole time some kids kind of stayed in their own independent and I respect that too so Really, once the timer started, I just circulated the room and I watched them begin. So when you're doing a normal lesson in class, like day to day, do you have that choice board present or you more have it towards maybe if it's a longer block period of time or how, tell me how you usually um, implement in your class in the sequence of the lesson. Yeah, so usually the choice board, I would say, is towards more like the end of the unit. It's not always the introduction to the new material. It's not the formal assessment. It's actually, usually we've had like a lot of practice with the vocabulary where they're not needing me one-on-one -on -one instruction. They're still getting the quick feedback from the tech tools, you know, if they're correct or not. They're working on, obviously, the speed and accuracy. So that's why it's data-driven. But I wouldn't say it's like the first time they've ever seen the words by any means, mm -hmm. like independent practice at their own level. Um, and it's not something I'm doing every day because I also wanted it to be enticing for children. So it's kind of more of a bigger deal we're doing this today. It's not something every day because I didn't want it to lose um, its value or like mm -hmm. excitement with um, the children. No, definitely. And there, there's a novelty, I think, to when you do, when you provide that choice in voice. And I think that if you um, do it every single day, then, you know, it's it, it's going to lose its novelty over time. Or you're really going to have to just like retool the choice board all the time. And to build that choice board, it takes it takes a lot of work. I mean, there's that that front end work of building it out. And um, but I do tell teachers, once you've built that initial board and you have the stuff, the back end, 
you can use it quite a bit. I mean, from, you know, maybe from one period to another, or you can take bits and pieces of it and, and move it around for future activities. And um, when you're doing a um, choice board, do you have it like, I mean, for example, some teachers like having it like asynchronous playlists where they have to do like a sequence of things and then there's a choice or do you have it more of like you've already provided the you know guide instruction for the day or the unit and then they just have like two or three choices that they have to do yeah so it's all whatever they choose i say they have to complete grid within the 20 minutes but i once the timer goes i want them to choose their own path because i feel like if i don't do that then i'm not really truly saying choice and voice if I'm saying step one we're all on Quizlet step two you know that seems like way too much mm -hmm. centered and I really want it to be student centered and focused definitely so let's um you know transition and, and before we transition I did want to ask you about um you know you do a lot of like for example quizzes Kahoot it's a lot of retrieval practice so when students are learning a new language you know do you have them study quite a bit in class? I mean, those are good um, tools. Do you also use like flashcards or anything of that nature to help them practice before they go ahead and do that? Or do you use, the, or use a tool similar to that for, um, you know, the practice piece? Yeah, so they use Duolingo at home and that's something that they're using every single night. Um, that's not something we're doing in class. And then I would say the number one flashcard is a lot of times, 95% of times, they're using Quizlet. Either they find like a set that's honestly already been made. Sometimes they send me a set, um, which is fun. Um, sometimes they share sets, which mm -hmm. is also fine. So I think uh, the Quizlet flashcard, as you know, they have so many different options. Once you make the flashcard, the flashcards, you can do a quiz, the matching gravity. They love live. We've been really um, integrating Checkpoint lately. So Yes, it's always digital flashcards though. Okay, got it. No, that that's great. So as we move forward to the next question, I think in order for us to have an engaging class as well as one that is choice oriented, we have to have a focus of student-centered and SEL. So can you tell us a little bit about how you, you know, build that community through SEL and what specific strategies do you use to um, implement? Yeah, so I think if you want to grow them, you have to know them. And that's really the forefront of my whole teaching philosophy. I'm not even my content. I feel like relationships and SEL, number one for me personally. So every single day, and I've shared this on Twitter, I have a Google form that they bookmark. It never changes. And they just do emoji checkpoint. Why? Because it resonates with middle school children. And you have to remember, not every single kid is going to pop up and say, like, I am sad today or mad or happy. Some of them do, and that's totally fine. But you have to create a safe space. So I find with the emoji, it's very quick. I get the data instantly, and then I can kind of like track their mood through the emojis. Additionally, as you're um, already familiar with the Pear Deck, the SEL templates are awesome. We do stress check. We do what's filling our bucket or draining, and they're very honest, <laughs> very honest. And then all the answers, you know, can populate on the screen, or I can look at them privately. Um, and then they also can drag. It's like a stress meter, like. I'm okay with my feelings or something's really bothering me. And I'm very always surprised um, sometimes where I think they might be and then where the whole class is, so you can look at them 
individually and then collectively. I also have started using the Quizzies SEL check-in. It's kind of similar to all those tools. It's just one quiz and it's just emoji check-in, tell me something about your day and then anything else you want to tell me. And sometimes they'll type, you know, like a private comment. Sometimes they say NA or um, I had pizza for lunch. It's, <laughs> it's just an opportunity for them to connect with me, but maybe not in a whole group setting. And then um, I use Flipgrid. I use that a lot more, honestly, when I was um, doing hybrid teaching. But we do a lot of them, like family traditions, how to pronounce your name, introduce your pets. We just did a cooking show. Um, that was really fun. They had to cook like an authentic um, dish, and that was fun. That's not really SEL where I'm going with that. But I think a lot of different tools have awesome resources. And I just feel like at the end of the day, if you know your kids and they know that you care about them, um, you're going to gain momentum and you're going to get results. And you have to take time for that. No, for sure. And, it, and it's something that I, you know, when I'm working with teachers, I like them to, you know, have that SEL check in immediately at the beginning of that class. I mean, and do it, you know, do a similar one, you know, maybe three days a week or even five days a week, you'd have a different one for each day of the week and you switch it up. And then what that does over time is, is that, you know, if you want to go deeper, you can do, you know, whole circle, um, you know, check-ins where students can talk about how they're feeling and you can work on, um, you know, emotional intelligence skills. For example, you can give them, you know, for the SEL check-in a, you know, um, you know, social story in the form of a comic. And then you could say like, how, you know, how would you feel? How would you react when, you know, this is occurring? And then that can lead to a greater conversation. And, and if you have those relationships built, students are going to be more open to it. And they're going to be more open to working on those skills. And I think that, you know, when, when they're more open and when you, they know it's a safe place and when you provide those opportunities to share and you have, you know, choice, um, you know, they're going to be more open and risk-taking when it comes to, you know, what they are able to create. So, um, you know, that's, that's fantastic um, that you're, you know, you're focused on that. And I think that, you know, if all educators, um, you know, focus on that at least, you know, five to six minutes a day, um, especially at the middle school and high school level, and then for elementary, you could focus on it, I think, um, you know, a bit longer because you have that time. It's, it's really just instrumental in, um, you know, your classroom culture and, and, and probably in, in retrospect, you may get more instructional time, don't you think? Because you'll have a lot less time focusing on redirection or, um, you know, having, you know, really difficult and critical conversations with certain students. So let's, let's jump into, I know that, you know, you've shared a lot over the last couple of years and I know that we've all grown and someone is in your, in your position as being, you know, an expert in tech integration, um, you know, how have you improved? How have you built your capacity? I recently, just today for um, our consortium, I wrote a blog post for our weekly newsletter about, you know, how are you building, you know, what are ways to personalize your professional learning in a way that, you know, is authentic to you and you create your own pathways. So, um, you know, I thought this would be a really relevant question for, for someone like you who has their expertise, but, you know, what, you know, wants and, and continues to grow. So, Tell me what are the areas that you uh, you built upon in, in uh, amplifying your instruction? Yeah, so I've definitely learned to love Google Classroom. Um, I used it before, but I feel like I have 
really watched a lot of YouTube videos and learned just like how to even post announcements in a way like that's scheduling. And then also like finally realizing um, when I was front loading all the material, like have a week and then front load all the material instead of just like every single assignment. I feel like that looks a lot better for students when they see this is week one, here's all my assignments. Um, so that took me a while, but I finally figured that out um, because I realized when so many people were in and out of the classroom, like they needed to be able to access the stuff at any given time. It could be at a very different time than the normal school day. Um, so that really pushed me um, just like how to organize Google Classroom better. And then um, I also realized that I was opening a lot of tabs every day. So also watched another video and Finally, I figured out how to have um, all of my tabs open, like as soon as I turn on my Chromebook. So that made me really happy because it was just like, I keep clicking on all these tabs. So now I have a nice little page for each of the classes I instruct since I'm doing four different preps every day. Um, so that took me a long time just to like figure that out. Um, bookmarking like my name generators, sometimes I would just guilty type in like all of their names, you know, that was not good use of my time. So I felt like to really get my lesson, like to maximize student learning, I had to like clean up my organization and I'm being transparent. I still struggle. Um, I'm just, I'm work in progress, but I feel like it forced me that I would have to be a lot more organized, just like everything under G Suite. I, um, tried a little bit more Google drawings. I'm still working around with that. Um, but I tried to explore some more different things, you know, that maybe I didn't do in the past couple years. Um, but it's, it's a work in progress, but that's the beauty of it. Like you see growth and I, I'm transparent with the kids. I'm like, you know, I need help with this. And a lot of kids will come up, I'll help you, Miss Boy. I'm like, thank you, because I think it's vulnerable. I don't have all the answers. And if they can teach me how to do it faster and better, then I, I'm very like, please help me. Can you write that down for me? Like, I mean, I'm all for like, if we can be better together, then let's collaborate together. Like, I'm vulnerable for their expertise. Yeah, no, it's showing that vulnerability with students is, is, is so huge. And um, I posted today about uh, letting go of perfection and how do you model that? And I think that showing that vulnerability and, and asking your students that, hey, like I'm trying to figure this out too. And you're modeling that, hey, I'm trying to problem solve. I'm trying to figure this out. That 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 really, you know, shows the students is like, hey, like I, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to, you know, problem solve to get better so we can have a overall better experience together. So I, I, I think that's huge. And um, I like the, the the notion of tabs that you were talking about because so nice nowadays you can stack tabs and I think that um, it's such a great opportunity to um, really organize yourself and to me in in the age that we're in I think digital organization is so important for teachers and creating that workflow because that's what you were describing with the tabs and I think the workflow allows you to be you know to work more efficiently versus harder. And it gives you more time uh, to, you know, then focus on, um, you know, other things, you know, talking with students versus having to type things in or move things around. I think that's so important. I think that we 
um, you know, within our teacher education programs and coaching programs, it's like that sh it, it should be a really big emphasis because of, you know, how that efficiency can really help improve like your day. I mean, can really, really help. So I, I, I do appreciate you discussing that because it's something that's not discussed enough and it's something that we need to be coaching um, I think our teachers more on, you know, throughout their careers, whether you're just beginning or whether you're a veteran in the classroom, because the ways that you can organize and change in your workflow, that's constantly changing is the new tools and types of technology that we're using in the class. So um, definitely appreciate that. So as we finalize um, this episode today, you know, what are some of your, um, you know, big tips that you would share for educators to implement in their classrooms and schools? Yeah, so... I would say teaching the kids, um, at least with the Chromebook, but like the shortcut of slides.new, forms.new, docs.new. Um, it's mind blowing how many of them will just like Google, Google Doc or Google, Google Slides. So just training them, whatever system, again, I'm reiterating that because that has just really, I just feel like the class is just so much better for me and them because they know these shortcuts and um, again, you could do it with tabs or folders or clever, whatever. And then the second thing I would say that has really helped me, um, I got a standing desk and I know that's not technology, but I will say it allows me to build more time with relationships and I'm circulating the room more. So previously I was like this, I was always on camera um, for obviously my Zoom students and then the in-person. And I felt like, you know, I actually didn't always get to know the people that were six feet away from me because it was just, you know, I was hoggled to the screen. We were like kind of distance. So with the stand up desk, I'm just like rolling around. Um, I just kind of like to be by him and then I roll around somewhere else. So it's just something random I wanted to share. Um, I think it just makes you really approachable um, because you could have a missed opportunity because your desk is far away from a student. And I just think it's a nice organic way um, to make yourself personal. It's also good on classroom management, if nothing else, because you're not, again, you're not so far away from anyone at any given time. Um, it gives you some flexibility as well to work one-on-one -on -one with somebody and then quickly transition to like back to the board or in conference with a kid. Um, my other thing that I love, which is from a kindergarten teacher, I use the Lucky Ducks. So I bought some rubber ducks and I put all their names on an individual duck. And that's how I've been cold calling. I did use, or I do use, um, Class Dojo and a random name generator. And that's all awesome. But I just started doing this Lucky Duck thing. Um, very simple. It just kind of like takes away maybe the pressure of a cold call and then I say, you pick your lucky duck, Matt, and then Matt picks Laura, and then Laura picks whoever. And it's just, it seems very <laughs> juvenile and silly, but I think the middle school kids, you pick my lucky duck, and I'm thinking, like, of course. <laughs> um, so it's just something to try. Teachers haven't heard of it. Um, I think it's working for me. No, for sure. And that creates more warmth to the cold call. So it's kind of like an oxymoron, right? Lucky duck versus... Uh, just to know, you know, the nature of what a cold call is. So that that's pretty cool. I think that's uh, something that, um, you know, teachers, regardless of what grade level you're in, I think students would actually find that, um, you know, more warm uh, feeling in terms of being, being called on. And I also like the idea of 
that walking desk, especially if you have more flexible seating in the classroom and the students are at tables um, or that their desks are easily to move or there's flex seating options because you can move that around. And if you're able to, you know, um, display through Wi-Fi, let your screen is to the board in front of class. I mean, to me, that's game changing because you're able to walk and move. And I think, you know, it's, it's kind of annoying to be honest, to carry around a laptop. I, I like to carry around more of a tablet and I have my other laptop, you know, I'm, you know, managing the two devices. And I, I think that flex, you know, that, that standing desk and be able to move with it is, um, I think that's a really good investment. And I think that, um, it'd be a great thing for schools to um, buy their teachers for next school year so that they can move around and uh, have their computer next to them and, um, you know, be operable as well as build those relationships. So thank you so much, Laura, for being on. And if you'd like, tell our listeners about, you know, how they can follow you and learn more about you. Well, thank you for having me. Um, if they want to follow me, they can follow me at Technology Laura, both on Twitter and Instagram. Um, course, follow Dr. Matt. He has a lot of good stuff, too. Um, but thank you for this opportunity. I hope I've helped someone in some way. Of course. Yeah, thank you. And you, you definitely have helped so many educators across the world. And, you know, I'm sure that they're very appreciative for what you've done. And for everyone, um, you know, please follow her and also please um you know, follow the podcast at matthewroads.com and all of your favorite um, podcast listening applications, as well as follow me on Twitter for all the podcast updates as we post twice a week and have our live episode. So thank you so much, everyone. And we look forward to having you on for our next episode in a couple of weeks. Have a good one, everyone.